Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The Guardian. Hi, I'm Hersha Patel, and this is Let's Eat, a podcast supported by McCain. In this five-part series, we're looking at how British mealtimes have changed over the years, from barbecues to hangover cures. We'll be asking cooks, food writers and their friends and families the secrets of mixing good food and great company. In today's episode, I'm joined in the kitchen by two expert cooks who love a dinner party. So it's like meat, carbs, sauces... Can't go wrong. Helen Graves is a cook, food writer and magazine editor. Always like do big chunks of meat like brisket or pork or ribs. Matt Burgess is a head chef across all of three, soon to be four, caravan restaurants. What do they cook when they're going all out for their friends and family? What are their greatest dinner party successes and biggest failures? Pull up a seat and let's find out. So I'm Helen Graves and I'm a freelance food and travel writer and I'm also the editor of Pit Magazine which is a magazine about live fire cooking and smoking. Issue two out now and I'm also the editor of a website called Just Open London which is about newly opened restaurants. I'm staring at a slab of cake. Yes. What are we cooking Helen? We are making a trifle. It's a very complex and obscure dish that I'm sure no one's ever heard of. But I'm basically making it because my mum always made this for Christmas and I've sort of changed bits of it over the years. So it's like a very sort of classic Graves family celebration dessert. It's quite a retro thing isn't it? It is quite retro but I mean I've cut out some of the nasty bits like uh, for example the jelly which I think is a bit rank. So what I do is I use Madeira cake instead of sponge because I don't like it when the sponge gets wet with booze and then it goes all bitty. Right, Do you okay. know what I mean? And like all wet and gross in the bottom and I'm not into that. So I use Madeira cake because it's, it's denser. So what I do is I make little sandwiches with the Madeira cake okay. and jam. Helen just can't resist including sandwiches in everything. She is the unofficial London sandwich queen. She's blogged and written extensively about sandwiches and has even written a book called, surprisingly, 101 Sandwiches. She seems to have everything under control in the kitchen. She's very calmly spreading raspberry jam onto her shop-bought Madeira cake. No judgment there. With all of her other ingredients laid around her, ready to go into the trifle. And now let's get to know our second guest. My name's Matt Burgess. I'm the group head chef of Caravan Restaurants. We've got three in London at the moment. We're spearheading a well-travelled cuisine. Also, you were the 19... What were, what were you? The 1982 Wellington Big Box champion of New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's got such a wealth of experience in professional kitchens. He started out as a pot washer when he was a teenager and has worked his way up, so definitely has earned his culinary stripes. He also loves cooking at home, so this definitely isn't a busman's holiday for him. I can really tell that Matt's used to being in charge in the kitchen. Not that he's trying to boss Helen around or anything, but I can see him eyeing up her ingredients, clearly thinking about how he can help out and get his hands dirty. Hopefully she'll let him help. 
the thing is with trifle, and when I heard that we were going to be doing a trifle today, my mum is a legend of trifles, but oh, she makes them great. all, all well, <laughs> no, she makes them all the wrong way. My mum's British. She was born in Manchester, so she brought a lot of that back to New Zealand when she immigrated over there back in uh, just after the Second World War in 1946, 47. When I was growing up, uh, my mum made a trifle once and mm-hmm. I didn't realise the amount of alcohol that goes into a trifle and I probably would have been seven or eight years old. And as I used to do as a small child, I used to get up in the middle of the night, sneak into the fridge and then take a big spoonful of trifle and uh, took half of it and basically vomited because it was just <laughs> so strong. And, you know, back in the day, like here, we've got some beautiful ingredients, but my mum used to drink the cheapest sherry that she could find. So it was, uh, it wasn't the nicest. I'm, I'm absolutely loving the Madeira cake sandwich that's uh, <laughs> making the base of this, because I'm not a great fan of jelly either. That's how she would do it. And uh, this is looking way better than what <laughs> we ever would do. Yes, many years of experimentation. So we've got um, the first layer cake sandwich in the bottom of a bowl. Yeah. And now I'm putting some masala on it. I mean, people use sherry. I think one year, I don't know, the supermarket went out of sherry or something. So I used masala and then that was I, that. I think that the masala would work so much better. Mm. I do love the the sort of roundness and the yes. haughtiness of masala rather than the harshness of sherry. I feel like we need a wee dram of the masala. So, cheers, guys. Cheers, oh, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Yum. And now I'm going to put the raspberries on top. And my mum used to it. use banana. I think it's from a Delia recipe, actually. Delia Smith, mm-hmm. who I named my cat after. <laughs> and what's next? Oh, custard. Normally, I'd make the custard. But it's not very podcast-friendly, standing and staring for ten minutes and then waiting for it to cool. So here's one we made earlier. You got the posh stuff, though. Yeah, I did specify in the email. <laughs> vanilla. I mean, there's basically just loads of good things together in a bowl, so you can't really go wrong. You leave it overnight? Yeah, you want to sort of set it a bit, firm cool. it up. Right, so we need to whip the cream. Cool, I can jump onto that. Yeah, that'd be yeah. great. Nice, up. here we go. Someone's got to keep an eye on these. Oh, look, I'll keep an eye on these. Because they will. Tasting the almonds. They will burn. So the almonds are toasted. Yeah, I can't do this one. Ooh, sizzle. It's like a new technique. That is an amazing technique. It's yeah. called hot almond. Yeah, the hot arm and sizzle. So, um, ta-da! Ta-da! <laughs> Round of applause! Yes! That's amazing. Trifle. Absolutely amazing. When I think of the stereotypical dinner party, I immediately think of Mad Men, um, that kind of classic retro cocktail hour at a specific time. All the ladies in their nice prim dresses. Specific courses so starter main and dessert and it's all very formal when I switch to what I think my dinner parties are like I would say they're quite different there's still you know food on a table people eating but I I approach them a bit more laid back what I I really love about having a dinner party where as opposed to going out for dinner is you're in a very personalized space you've got nothing else distracting you you've just got your friends there and it's quite intimate because you're sharing conversations and you're having an experience that nobody else in in your little bubble nobody else is a part of it's those moments that I find more satisfying than just going out for a quick dinner or lunch that I remember and that 
I can also, if, if it's my dinner party, this is my way of thanking my friends for being my friends. So um, here we are in our kitchen. We are settling in for a bit of a chat about dinner parties. We are waiting for the trifle to set. So let's talk. When, when you hear the term dinner parties, what do you think of? If I'm talking about at home, it's barbecue. You know, that's what I love to do. So always like do big chunks of meat like brisket or pork or ribs and then just chop that up and put that in the middle of the table and everyone to sit around with the plate on their lap or, you know, sitting on the side in the sun and in the garden and just uh, eating. That's, that's what it's all about. When you hear the term dinner parties, it makes me think of like 70s dinner parties, like things that I don't have in my house, things like set in aspic and like prawn cocktails and stuff. Although I do like a good prawn cocktail. I have people around for dinner rather than, you know, having a dinner party with like special cutlery and stuff. So for me as well, it's barbecues. And it's really strange that the two of us are here together because I know that you guys didn't know at all that we were both really into barbecues. So yeah, I basically will cook a main dish on the barbecue. And then what I do quite often is I'll do it as tacos or something. So I'll do like the meat and tacos and then just do sauces and salsas and and crunchy things and bits and bobs. So it's like meat, carbs, sauces. Can't go wrong. Sharing. Yeah, and so everybody just dives and everybody helps themselves. Everybody makes their own tacos or whatever. And also just leaves you free, you know, to just yeah entertain or whatever yeah, you want to do. Yeah. So when you guys were younger, would your parents hold dinner parties? My my mum was the king of dinner parties. Oh, <laughs> yeah. talk the, us ab- through. The absolute king. My mum worked in an office. She was the executive secretary for the head of Toyota Asia or Europe. They had a bar there, obviously, at uh, at her work. And she used to uh, entertain a lot and come come home with all the workers from work. And uh, we used to have these big, huge dinner parties at home, all usually based around really bad sherry. That seemed to be the drink of the early 80s. It was all about everything being set in aspic and cocktails and sort of fondues. I remember mum having Love a fondue it. party. It was insane. So w- would it be, would there be courses and would it be quite um, Yeah, I think it was, again, more of the sharing option. She would have a, a really sort of tacky chicken liver pate in a mould, in a fish mould, because that's the only mould that we <laughs> had. And then, you know, she will do a roast chicken or a roast lamb with some condiments on the side. There wasn't anything like there was what you'd get today. Like it, it was your, your typical sort of big pile of mashed potatoes, big pile of carrots or chopped cabbage, boiled cabbage, which was a great one for her. It wasn't like, I suppose, as diverse as it is now when you go to some dinner parties and some people is doing, you know, crazy stuff with couscous or Israeli couscous or <laughs> they've got the latest Otolenghi book and they've pulled out every single recipe out of that, which yeah. is great, which is which yeah. what I love. So what about you, Helen? Did you experience the... No. Basically, I did not grow up in a foodie family. I basically grew up on, like, Finder's crispy pancakes, which, you know... And then, you know, I have memories of, like, boiling the bag, cod and parsley sauce, that kind of thing. And they're actually quite fond memories, I'm going to be honest. But I used to feel like a sort of a bit of imposter syndrome where I felt like I wasn't really... didn't have the necessary background to be a food writer but I'm sort of over that now so I'm kind uh, of Nigel yeah. Slater <laughs> yeah. have you watched Toast I have watched it weirdly I watched it the other day oh yeah, did you yeah. <laughs> so no they didn't have any dinner parties I'd literally have no experience of that growing up at at all hmm. <laughs> my parents didn't do dinner parties did they not we, okay th- when family came round they'd cook loads of food but it wasn't like 
we'd it would be a dinner party it's just family eating lots of food yeah which I, I think that's slightly different what about when you left home or when you became an adult or yeah. what was what about the first time you cooked for other people was yeah that a special occasion well I was quite good because I went to university when I was 21 rather than 18 so I've been living on my own for a while so I had a few skills in the kitchen that other people didn't necessarily have so that was quite good. And I remember we were living in our first house at university and a guy was like, I can make a curry. And he just kind of got a pan of boiling water and just like tipped all the spices into the water. So I had to make like a saving meal and it was something really simple. Like uh, it was pasta with tomato sauce, but it was, you know, it tasted good because I'd made it a million times. So yeah, I sort of saved the day there. So I was quite proud of my advanced Aww. advanced kitchen skills. What, what about you, Matt, when you first cooked I, for others? I... I was a pretty proficient cook by the time I, I moved out of my mother's house. I could cook quite a lot. And when I uh, got my first job in my first flat, I actually got to feature on a, a radio station in Wellington called Radioactive. It's a university radio station where I had a cooking show of telling okay. university students. They used to call in and tell me what was in their cupboard. Okay. And then I'll tell them how to do it. That's brilliant. It was really challenging because half of them will be like half an onion, (laughs) three day old milk and a packet of two minute noodles. I'll be like, wow. okay." Um, And what about you, Helen? When did you first cook? What? Rather than just, you know, save the day. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to remember like the things that went wrong rather than the things that went well. I was cooking a meal for friends and um, I did something really simple, but it was a ragu. So I've been cooking it all day. And I was really proud of it. And the ragu was actually fantastic. But I bought this posh pasta, like really thick sort of pappardelle type pasta. And it just would not cook. So it was like, I was just boiling it for like, it's even like half an hour. And then it was kind of all stuck together and the pan wasn't big enough. And because I was drunk and, you know. So we ended up eating that at 10 o'clock. And then I made (laughs) afterwards my nemesis, the grapefruit meringue pie, which I've always wanted to get right as a recipe. And I've made it like five times and it still doesn't work. <laughs> and so one of my friends actually said to me, why don't you just leave it alone now, Helen? <laughs> Did you make that when you were drunk at after yeah. 10? Yeah, grapefruit does this weird thing when you start to get loads and loads of the zest and loads of the oils and everything. Like it makes your mouth go quite numb and mm. weird. Yeah. Mm. So that's happened. What else has happened? I've forgotten the sugar in the meringue. The meringue's slid off. I've burnt it. You know, just every time, like, it goes wrong. And I, but I keep doing it. So, like, all di- dinner parties, I'll just keep making this dessert and my friends just suffer. Oh, <laughs> yeah. One day you'll get it, though. One day I'll get it right. Until then, they will eat it. Yes. Yeah, I agree. When you're cooking, when you're ma- planning a dinner party, do you kind of have a k- rituals or a process of doing it? Because I like, yeah. I really love writing my menu, then making a list and then getting up in the morning, going shopping, doing, mm. you know, getting dressed up and creating an ambiance and having mm. a cocktail and then games. But what do you guys do? Or, or do you just kind of throw it all together? I wouldn't call it a ritual. I, I just kind of, well, I do the shopping the day before, definitely. Yeah. Or Donald, my partner, would do the shopping the day before, and that's like his domain. So then I would send. He would go off and do that, and then I would do something like make the house nice or clean the house, <laughs> the basics, you know, yeah. um, that kind of thing. I don't really have a ritual. I just try to stay calm and not yeah. get too drunk, basically. I usually write a menu. Yeah. And then yeah, then I'll go out and do all the shopping. While, yeah, my partner will stay at home and she'll do mm-hmm. all the cleaning and stuff. Yeah. And I'm usually the one that stresses out where she's, she's like really the cool, calm and collected one where she'll be like, 
where you're stressing out over the food, you know what to do. Yeah, and that's it, me. It, it's trying to, I suppose, for me, it's getting all the timings right mm. and making sure that everything's done. And then, again, it's just making sure you don't have that glass of gin and tonic a little bit too early. Yeah. Just yeah. to calm the nerves, you know, you're about three down before the guests arrive. Yeah, I do find it quite stressful. Yeah. Yeah, because I think there's a certain pressure when people know you cook that yeah. it's got to be good. And yeah. I just, I think, oh. And then, because I think I always end up doing one too many things. Yeah. And then I get in a, a flap and then I get stressed. And then my husband says, oh, why why are you getting so stressed? And, and then I think, yeah, you would cook. You don't understand. Don't understand me. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm kind of giving myself too much work. That's yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah. And that's the stress. So easy to do, though, isn't it? It's so easy. You get excited yeah. when you're planning a menu and you think, oh, yeah. just nothing, nothing. And before you know it. Yeah. Disaster. And you want to impress people as well. That's the thing. Yes. You don't want them to not eat food. I want people to love me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's all about. It is. I feel like the the concept of like you said earlier, um, Helen, that back in the day, yeah. um, the dinner party is quite a um specific kind of thing. And I feel like it's changed over time. It's become a bit more relaxed. Do you guys have a biggest hit when it comes to meals you've made for people? The biggest triumph I've I've quite possibly done at a dinner party, was a brisket, which is phenomenally hard to do. So hard to cook. Um, and yeah. really, really difficult to get right. It took a long time, so we cooked it for 15 hours overnight. Me and a very good friend of mine, we did it in two shifts. So he took the night shift from 8 o'clock till 4 in the morning. Then I did from 4 in the morning until the dinner so, party. So yeah. what do you have to keep doing? It's all about um, heat maintenance, mm. right? making sure that it doesn't get too hot, doesn't get too cold and wow. it's, a, it's a very long slow cooking process but you've just got to constantly make sure that you're, you're watching the fire and and keeping a look after it so yeah. when it was actually my shift uh, I woke up my alarm went off and I went downstairs and I was expecting to have a handwritten note from my friend who was on the first shift but I found him face down on the table <laughs> asleep <laughs> with 11 beer cans around him <laughs> 11? Yeah. And so oh, I had to sort of wake him up gently and said, it's time to go to bed. <laughs> I've got the shift, uh, which was very fun. Was it ruined, though? Was no, it? it wasn't. He no. was amazingly, he did it. Yeah. He, he managed to get the whole way through it. I <laughs> couldn't believe it. And the brisket just turned out incredible. Was it? Absolutely incredible, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can you top that, Ellen? <laughs> well, no, I've never really cooked a very very good brisket to be honest because it is really hard mm. but my pork and orange my orange and chipotle pork tacos are my biggest Ooh. hit and it's actually Oof. the most popular recipe on my blog as well mm. yeah it's just pork uh, shoulder cooked very slowly with lots of orange juice and chipotle chili basically mm. a few other bits cumin garlic that kind of thing once it's all sort of tender and pulled apart you serve it with on tacos yeah and yeah sounds that amazing. always goes down really well that sounds really, really good. If there are any people out there who don't mm. really cook for parties, mm. dinner parties, that's quite a good tip oh, to get a started. Really, good one. really yeah. easy. It's really easy. You're basically just throwing everything in, in a pan. As long as you have sort of ready-made tacos and things, then you just need a bit of whatever you want to put on top of it. What about dessert? I often just get lots of nice chocolate. Yeah, put it Great in the idea. middle. Yeah, yeah. Best and, idea ever. Yeah. yeah. I can't Great food deal with. Pie. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that just don't. I find actually yeah because it's a different type of meringue obviously it's like soft meringue on it yeah but if I'm doing um a sort of dinner party dessert sometimes I just do a pavlova because you can do like an overnight meringue then which is much yeah. easier <clears throat> and then just you know whipped cream fruit and that always looks amazing no matter if it cracks or it you know it's not doesn't rise up very much or whatever yeah 
Because it's supposed to look a bit. Yeah, yeah. that always always looks good. It yeah. always tastes good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Eat and miss. Yeah. I always think oh, that's always a good idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Same thing. Exactly the same, but smash it, yeah, up. Smash it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Yeah. And you can put absolutely anything into it. Dinner parties for me just got to be simple. Yeah. You know. And what about starters or nibbles? What would you oh, sit around? Just get down now? to Waitrose and get some of those yeah. pre-made stuff. And, I yeah. always do nibbles. Yeah, yeah charcuterie <laughs> is a good one yeah. if, it, yeah. if it fits or whatever you want, really. People mm. just want some, a bit of something, don't yeah. they, to just pick up. And yeah. then you don't need to have an actual starter that's mm. just something. Yeah. If it's too good, I find people fill up on it. Yes. Yep. Exactly. So, yeah. And they won't and they won't go for the main course. Yeah. Just get pretzels or something. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Doritos. Yeah, yeah. Doritos. Yeah. They are like yeah. crack though, aren't they? <laughs> they really are. Yeah. <laughs> really don't get Doritos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Doritos are the ones yeah. that go first. My dad was like, yeah. Why are they so good? I was like, MSG does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. That's a brilliant starting menu, anyone out there? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Needs help? Yeah. <laughs> Take <Yeah>. note. <laughs> I loved Helen and Matt. They were great. They were a great pair. I think two soulmates have been brought together inadvertently the thing that I that they taught me in today's episode was um, that dinner parties don't have to be complicated I mean I like throwing a dinner party and I kind of over complicate things a lot of the time and cook probably too many dishes and want to make it perfect and this and that and I love that both of them had this approach um, being you know well versed in food and cooking that you don't need to worry about trying to impress your friends and family too much. You just need to give them food that tastes delicious but is simple and shareable. That was their thing. So you put a load of food in the middle of the table and everyone helps themselves. There's no formality to it. And it's about the people that come together and that is the important thing and that's what makes a dinner party fun. And obviously the booze, that's quite important. Next time, we're settling in for a cosy meal at home and cooking up some comfort food with some very special guests. That's Let's Eat Comfort Food next week with me, Hersha Patel. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or at theguardian.com forward slash audio. Special thanks to Helen and Matt and to our producer Lucy Dearlove at Rethink Audio. Jason Phipps is The Guardian's head of audio. Until next time. Goodbye. For more great podcasts from The Guardian, just go to theguardian.com slash podcasts. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.